This is the Negotiate X Podcast, show number 34, part A. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey everyone, my name is Nolan Martin. I'm the co-founder and co-host for NegotiateX. And with me today is my good friend, Aram, who is also the co-founder of NegotiateX. But more importantly, Aram, you want to introduce our guest? I will. Thanks, Nolan. Folks, today we have the pleasure of being joined by Mala Subramaniam. And Mala uh, spoke to one of my classes. We're just talking about this about a year and a half ago. Uh, was a very dynamic and engaged speaker. My students really enjoyed speaking with with Mala. So I thought, hey, maybe if she's available, we'll bring her on to the show. She's written a great book called Beyond Wins, How to an Eastern Mindset for Success in Daily Business Negotiations. And I'm excited to talk more about that book. Mala, let me just say a few words about you. Mala is a corporate speaker, executive coach, and cross-cultural trainer. She brings a combination of Eastern and Western philosophies to the topic of negotiations. She has her MBA from Rutgers and a master's degree in sociology. She's also a certified uh, Achieve Global Leadership Trainer. Mala spent over 20 years in influential marketing and strategy roles at global companies such as IBM, GE Healthcare, and Dun & Bradstreet. Since 2006, Mala has given talks and led webinars, on-site courses, and provided leadership coaching to a number of clients. Cognizant Technology Solutions and Meltwater are among her major clients. Her cross-cultural talks have also reached Lincoln Financial, The Hartford, Express Scripts, Comcast, Putnam Financial, NASDAQ, Williams-Sonoma, SCORE, USSD, and others. Many more across the, both the United States and India. So, Mala, with that, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much, Aaron. I need to get that description that you just gave. I can create a bio with that. <laughs> you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mala. All right, well, Mala, let's let's start off. I'd love to hear about your journey. How did you become a, an expert in negotiation? How did you get started in this field? Um, I had been doing negotiation without even realizing it for 20 years in my corporate job to get things done. And the realization came when I was laid off by IBM. I was sitting in the Westchester parking lot and I said, what just happened to me? You know, this is the biggest company and I thought I would retire here gloriously. And I was laid off and I looked back at my career and it was a series of projects that I had done and projects that were accomplished well, but in trying to accomplish finishing it on time and you know doing things, I forgot what was important, the relationships and the long-term results. So I was looking for immediate wins. And that's what made me realize that I need to teach other people what to focus on and what to do. And I saw people walking out of the IBM parking lot. I was there for about three or four hours. 
I saw people walking out of their, you know, evening uh, around 5.30 p.m. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I wish I could tell all of them, think of what is important. You know, I left my Eastern roots in trying to win the rat race. So that was the beginning of the journey. And fortunately, Cognizant had asked me to come in and teach presentation skills and uh, across communications, giving, you know, lectures on that. And while doing that, you know, they said, can you teach negotiation? And I said, can I teach negotiation? I can. But the slang that I used in negotiation was not tools and techniques. It was more of build yourself. So that's when one of the students asked me, Mala, why don't you teach this or write a book about it? Because that will be interesting. So there it goes, Aram. That's my journey. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. And I would say that uh, it sounds like it kind of starts from a place of personal need, which I can relate to, and I know Nolan can too, and then saying, I need to share some of this with other people. Exactly. So I just want to jump in. In the book, you talk about mindset. How do we first get our head around mindset? Why is it important in negotiations? And then kind of kick this conversation off? Sure. You see, it's not about the tools and techniques that you have and all the, you know, the computer, the technology, everything. It is the person in you that is going to be sitting at the negotiation table. And the person in you is the mindset that you have. You know, I'll give you a very basic example. A lot of times people go there and, you know, uh, when they feel like they've gained a lot of weight, they say, okay, I want to lose weight. I want to lose weight at whatever cost. Then they start on these milkshake diets, weight watchers and all that. And yeah, it might last. You might lose weight, but you're going to lose a lot more than the weight. You know, your health, your sanity, because you keep, you know, going yo-yo up and down. So right. instead of thinking, I want to lose weight, if your mindset is health, or I want to climb the Himalayas, or I want to do this. I know this person who actually was overweight, could hardly walk, and then this trip of the Himalayas came in, and she really focused on her health and did hikes every day, every week, and she was able to climb the Himalayas. Not only did she lose weight, she was extremely healthy, that she was able to go up the elevation. So to me, the mindset is important. If you are internally strong and if you are goal-driven and if you have the right attitudes, then definitely it is long-term success. It's not about an immediate win. And the same thing, you know, I always tell people, I do a lot of career coaching and mentoring. And I tell people, you know, don't say I want a job because then you'll get any job. Think about, I want to be in a situation where I'm adding value. Then when you go in, you're going to present yourself as somebody who is accomplished and how to match the requirements of the position and whether it is the right position. I remember, you know, I was in that desperate situation. I had been laid off by Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And I said, oh, God, I need to get a job. <laughs> so that was the mindset with which I was approaching everybody. And I got a job that was miserable. 
they hired me as a credit analyst when I had very little background in it. It's just the way I was speaking that they were impressed and they hired me and I quit the job within a month. So to me, mindset is very important, particularly when you go into negotiation. And I remember, Molly, you kind of built on this. We started when you visited my my class, we did a little poll. We asked students you know, about some mindset pieces. Do you want to win or succeed? Are you going to bargain or are you going to negotiate? Are you going to react or are you going to respond? How do those concepts, those, those kind of, those different, how do those play into this mindset that you're talking about? Sure. If you want to win, then basically it's a short term. You're thinking of a beginning and an end. And winning is like, you know, you go to a car dealer and you want to get the best price and the car dealer wants to get the best deal out of you. So that's winning. It's a short term. There's no relationship. There's no long-term thinking. Whereas success is a journey. And Hmm. when you are in a company and you're working with people, it's not about winning. Because when you win, you're going to make the other person lose. The more and more you're going to have people lose, the greater the possibility that you're going to lose a lot more than project. So I think that is the winning. Success is long-term. It's like there is a beginning, but there's no end. You go into a job, you finish project after project after project, but success is built when you make sure that you have everybody involved in the project and everybody feels like they are part of the solution. And it's not like I'm doing it, so follow me. And, and here is a, you know example of this uh, person who was just constantly getting projects done, gaining all the visibility. And then at one point, the vendors, the colleagues re- refused to even attend her meetings because they were afraid she is going to rope them into something and they will not be able to either deliver or feel good about it. So her boss was, you know, very encouraging because he said, oh, I'm getting all these projects and we're both gaining visibility. The division is gaining visibility. Then what happened was she got a new boss. And when people refused to attend her meetings or the vendors refused to bid on the projects, then she actually, the she went to the boss and she said, can you, you know, she escalated. She can you help me uh, get people to attend the meetings and things like that? And he said, "Let's pause. You've lost a lot of vendor relationship. You've lost people in your team, and you've got people who are not collaborating with you. So, do you want to win or do you want to succeed? So, winning is about you. Success is about everybody. So that." to me, is the biggest uh, difference. And and the same difference is between bargaining and negotiation. 90% of what happened in corporate America still happens is bargaining. There's no negotiation. Hmm. This bargaining, it's like I versus you. Each person has wants and desires, and they're after that. And it's not solution-driven. And it's not about long-term getting everybody involved. And there's no leadership in that. Whereas success is, you know, negotiation is about bringing everybody to the table and gaining consensus 
and trying to solve a problem. And most of the times people sit at the negotiation or so-called negotiation table, they don't even know what the problem is and what the solution is. They don't even sit down to come to a consensus on what is the problem. It's like, for instance, I was doing a lot of workshops with Cognizant and they would always tell me, uh, I was teaching negotiation, they would always tell me, oh, the clients are so demanding, so many priorities. And, uh, and right. you know, our option is to say, no, we can't do it or uh, we'll take a stand. And that's when everybody's taking a stand. And then I said, did you ever think why is the client asking for more projects and why is it that they are demanding? Why are they changing priorities? Have you ever looked at what is the cause? And that's when they paused. And I said, if you sit down and figure out what is called, maybe, maybe it's because there's a change in management and that change in management is causing people to react a little differently. So why not think, how can I help the client? Because the definition of client is one who is dependent on the other. So client means the client is dependent on the vendor or the consultant. So they're dependent on you. When they are dependent, instead of taking a stand and saying, I'm not going to do it, think about what is it that is causing them to make these unreasonable demands. Yeah, that's such a great framing. It's got to be difficult too. Uh, and it's something I think Nolan and I can say we've heard working with our you know different clients who will say, ah, the supplier's the problem, right? The supplier <laughs> will never do this, this right. And it, and it's never never really focused on ourselves and never and never that question that causes that pause, which is why might this be occurring for them? Exactly. And uh, and I think that's what if, if you don't mind my going into the Eastern mindset. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you that. So tell us, because this is this Eastern mindset. And the question is, does it have a place in Western business? Yes, it does. In fact, the Western, with its independent thinking and its series of wins and uh, doing so well, I mean, it's the most advanced nation on this uh, earth. So you've got really advanced thinkers and everything. What is missing, I feel, and what was missing in my approach also in 20 years in corporate America was an internal focus. What is internal focus? Going inward and taking responsibility. See, when you're externally focused, you're always looking for reasons for your success or failure or your win or your losses. Internally focused means I take full responsibility for everything that happens. I create my life. I create the situations. I create the success and the failure. So when you take full responsibility, that's what internal focus means. And I think if the Western approach can take that internal focus and gain that balance it would be a lot better. I mean, I'm going to give you a basic example. If you go into yoga, they always tell you to close your eyes and, and not to open your eyes and to look at the other person to see, oh my God, that person is able to twist herself <laughs> into whatever, you know, and I can't even fold my uh, legs. Then you're externally <laughs> focused and not internally. <laughs> internally, the breath has to guide you into the movement, mm. or into the position. And if you're going to focus on the other person, 
And that's what internal focus means. Finding, taking responsibility for yourself and being guided by yourself. I love the fact that we have all these tools and techniques and everything. And, you know, I did right. a course and I've read all the books, The Getting to Yes, Never Split the Difference, everything I have read. And I think that's great. You know, I had one student who came to my class and basically said, I attended the Harvard program. I attended this program, that program, but still I feel like I'm not doing well when I go to make a deal or cut a deal or negotiate. And I said, that's because you're letting the tools guide you. And for you to be in charge, you have to have the right mindset. I was going to say, I appreciate the yoga example, because if Nolan and I, and you're only seeing us kind of from the, the chest up, but if we were trying to do some twists and turns w- without keeping our eyes closed, it would be, it would be disastrous. <laughs> and I was also going to say, I just, and I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this at the end. I love the leadership focus, Mala, of what you're sharing. That is success, right? Is when it's, there's a leadership component to this that I create and there's the ownership and accountability piece. And I do think that that ends up missing so often from work we see. Thank you. Yes, I, I think that is the most important, the ownership. I am responsible. So when I go into any negotiation, I listen to soft music, I listen to some inspirational talks and everything, and I calm myself down and I realize I'm responsible for whatever happens at the table. You know, once people take ownership, then it's a totally different thing. And I feel that's what the Western world needs because Western world is very transaction driven and there is no uh, thing to build relationship. And there is no kind of taking ownership. Like I never took ownership of all the problems that happened, that I kind of left a trail of problems (laughs) in my corporate career. I didn't take any ownership. And that's where I felt that I had failed. But I don't blame myself. I take responsibility. I think that's a a good distinction that you don't blame yourself, that you take responsibility. Mala, I want to follow up with you. So what are these seven rules to an effective negotiation that you talk about? My favorite. (laughs) (laughs) The first one is the, the, um, actually, I'm going to do one more, the eight And the first one is the communication signal. And this Mm. is very critical because if you look at it, most negotiations or so-called negotiations is about you and we, and, you know, it's, it's people sitting at opposite end of the table. One person has one understanding of the problem and the other person has a totally different understanding of the problem. For instance, the client will say all the data that you gave was incorrect. You know, the reports are all incorrect. And then the vendor is saying, that's because people in your department gave incorrect data. So it's like, okay, then what is it that caused them to give the incorrect data and these people to take the incorrect data and produce the reports? That means nobody sat down to see the corrections that were needed to fix the data before you created the report. So there's no common understanding. So with that, they come to the table and this person is saying, oh, we want the reports on that time. We want you to redo the reports. And these people are saying, no, we can't afford to redo the reports. That means you have to pay for those resources. So there is then a tug of war. And then one walks away the winner. 
you know, usually it's the client and they feel good about it. And this consistently happens to the point where then the vendor feels like I've exhausted all resources. I cannot comply with the client. Now I have to fight or I have to drop this client. So that is the main thing, getting to a common understanding of the problem. I think in the book, um, I'd given the suggestion of a, of a conversation between a parent and a teenager. You know, the parent, mm -hmm. if you don't mind my giving that, the parent says, you know, you have to come by 9 p.m. And the kid says, are you kidding me? Everybody will laugh at me. So they're both taking a stand. But then when the parent said, I'm concerned about your security, your safety, uh, because there's a lot of accidents and a lot of, you know, shootings and things like that, I'm afraid. And then the kid says, people will laugh at me if I come in at 9 p.m. I might as well not go to the party. Or he might say, okay, let me just skip out when dad is sleeping. So instead of that, they come to an understanding. Once they come to an understanding, then they can, you know, then the negotiation starts. So that's the most important, the communication signal where. Uh, and I appreciate your example. Sorry. I appreciate your example because I have a 14 year old oh, in the house. Okay. So this is, you're setting me up for success. <laughs> ask, ask your ask your 14 year old to read the book and you read the book and then. <laughs> well, <laughs> you can come to sounds a, good then we'll give you a call yeah i can i can mediate but so that you know that is the most uh you know a lot of times i hear people say i communicated too and i always say there is no two with a communicate it has to be with <laughs> so it's a two-way street so that's the main, that's one of the first things that I say. Once you've got a common understanding of the problem, then the goal is easier to set. The, in the internet of the vendor client saying, my goal is to make these people do, do the reports. And the other person saying, you know, no, I have to see how I can decline doing that. Instead, then they come to a common understanding and see a goal that is mutually beneficial to both. For instance, like I said, the goal is not losing weight. The goal is being able to travel, being healthy. So when, when the goal is broader and more strategic in thinking, then the solution is new, not too far off. You see, I, I, I went through a class where they were talking about how to come up with options and things like that. And I was thinking, you've not even zeroed in on the problem. Where can you come up with the options? Yeah. So I was just going to say, I think that's really insightful because we talk so much in our line of work, right? About getting creative. We want people to get creative. We want them to come with options, but if they haven't gotten to the root of the problem, you're just kind of making stuff up, right? Yeah, exactly. Because that's when you are thinking about what is that person's interest and what's my interest and how can we uh, you know, come to a common understanding. No, it's like first figure out what the problem is. See, the interest is all about who. The problem is all about what. So figure out what is the problem and also what is the need. Instead of thinking what does Aaron want and what does Mala want, it's like what is the need that will satisfy both ends. What is the need and what is the solution? It's about not you and I, it's about we. So it has to be very solution driven. So that's the most important, the goal. And then the, the next one, you know, all this, then once you have the goal, 
that kind of gives you the balance because you know it's so funny i'm going back to yoga when in yoga they'll ask you to stand on one foot so if i ask you to stand up and stand on one foot you're not going to be able to do it instead if i say no. you know if i say look at a picture or look at something on the wall and focus on the wall and then when you're focusing on the wall then i say okay now raise one foot it's going to be totally different you're going to be able to do it it's amazing try it not today but <laughs> you know <laughs> try try it uh, because if I, i you know i've done that like i can stand on my feet as long as i'm focusing on that object the moment i take my eye off the object i fall so that's what goal is throughout the, the negotiation you have to focus on the goal then the, you'll be balanced then it's an internally focused uh, thing and then the next one is ask what not who basically when the problem happens our natural tendency is to say hey who is at fault and once you start blaming either yourself or somebody else then you cannot solve the problem because the focus is on how do i get out of this situation rather than what needs to be done to get out of the situation and the and and the other the next one is dare to dream most of the times i've, I've you know when i've mentioned people oh i'm going into ask for promotion or i'm going to ask for a salary increase and i know my boss is going to say no and i uh, you know i'm not going to get it or yeah i'm not going to get this job or i'm not going to get this project done so when you go with that how are you going to get it done how are you going to get the job or to me it is better to dream big and have that strong intention that you know have a visualization of you and the other person shaking hands and being happy about the whole thing or you buying something with the new salary increase that you got so when you start dreaming like for instance i'm afraid of sitting in the middle in 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 flights and me too yeah really i guess a lot of people so when i when i called uh you know i had booked a flight in british airways and i called them and i was like mad i said you know i paid for a business class you're not giving me a, a seat and and they said ma'am it doesn't matter who you are we don't assign seats till 24 hours before and i said then i have to cancel the flight because i can't even imagine sitting from here to india sitting in the middle row so leave alone you know going to houston or something so and so <laughs> I, i fought and the person said heck with it you you know and and didn't do anything but then when i thought about it and i called again with a totally different approach you know i saw myself sitting in the end seat and having a drink in my hand and enjoying you know like a dream and intention so my whole approach was different i was more you know friendly and i said oh i know you can do it and then they said oh don't worry about it we've had a, a, a thing and we can do it and and they were able to do it for me they were able to give me a better a seat in the business class and i was assigned all the way so i think that's what is the dare to dream the intention the hopes all have to be there you cannot go with any doom you know uh, this person is nasty yeah. going to uh, think and then 
Say it only when you believe it. That is the other, uh, the third rule that I have, the fourth rule, that you have to, you know, go, don't go there and give options if you're not going to accept it for yourself. Like the first rule is, right. is this option something I would accept? And if I'm not going to accept it, I'm not going to present it to somebody else. You know, I've had people come coming to this so-called negotiation and give options. And when I ask questions, uh, my background is in market research. So I know how to ask questions so that the other person will spill their guts. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, they, I <laughs> ask, they would tell me, um, you know, so if they're not going to accept it, then how would they expect? So the credibility is very important. And also people get very, I used to give market research presentations and the credibility was very important, you know, because my background, statistics, all that is important. So when I go in there and present, I'm not going to present data, but I'm going to present insights, but I would have the backup. So if somebody asks me, I would be able to tell them why I'm saying that they need to do this why I think that this market is not a good market not to go into it. So the credibility is very right. important. And, and I think one of the things you were saying, respond versus react, that is very, very, very Eastern thought process. See, reaction is very emotional. It's on the surface. And reaction happens when you're angry, when you're not thinking clearly. The respond means addressing the question or the problem extremely responsible way. That's why it's called respond. You know, it's a responsible way of addressing. So for instance, I, I was doing a role play in a class and one person said, the client was role playing, said, well, Mike, uh, your competition is offering us a better deal. You know, it's uh, competition A, B, and C is offering this deal and they can do the reports on time and they're not even costing that much. Immediately, the reaction from the vendor group was, oh, we know that competition. Did you see the newspaper? They're going to be out of existence. What are you going to do then? And I said, no, that is reaction. And, and I said, what is the goal there? Right. The goal is not to prove that the other person is wrong or that the competition is. The goal is to have the other person rely on your credibility and accept you. So there is a better way of addressing it, saying, okay, I, I understand that you have a contact of the competition and we're, you know, we're fine if you want to go with it. We have been with you for 10 years and we're very appreciative. And once you sign on with the client and if you need help, don't hesitate to call, we'll come in and help you. So, you know, something like that, a more responsible that you care about the client. You don't want the client to go with a competitor yeah. instead of saying it, you know, say it indirectly, but be responsible in your answers. So that is the response. Let me jump in. Sorry. Hold, hold your train of thought. I don't want to interrupt. No. I, I hate to interrupt your train of thought because it's great. I have not heard respond framed in the way that you just did to address in a responsible way. I, I really think that's a beautiful nugget. So I just wanted to kind of emphasize that in the, in the description you're giving to it. I've just not heard that before, Mala. So sorry for interrupting, but I just wanted to. Oh, yeah. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. 
and and I learned it when I used to make presentations on market research. I remember one presentation on on customer service, and the whole operations area was up in arms. When I walked in, the analyst was the one who was going to present, and he presented, and everybody was, you know, you took the wrong sample, you know, you didn't call the right people. And things like that. And the analyst was said, well, you gave the data. And, you know, it was like he was reacting. And he said, sampling, he said, I have a PhD and I've been doing this for 15 years. What do you mean that we were wrong in sampling? And then I said, no, time out. I said, you have to address the persons. They're all angry because it's going to affect their bonus. You know, that's what I was thinking. I didn't say that. They're, you know, they're afraid of the bonus and the thing instead of reacting to them, to their anger, because when you're reacting, you're reacting to the anger. You're not reacting to the, the questions that they are asking. You're not responding to them. So then I, I, you know, I, I said, okay, let's make a sample call. You're saying that your calls, you have reports that show that your calls, people, customers only hold for 30 seconds. So let's do a sample call. When we did the sample call, and I asked, what is the te- telephone? They gave about 10 telephone numbers. I said, well, there is the problem. <laughs> so you, I had to prove to them that what we were saying was uh, correct, but without making the other person feel like a fool. So if I say, hey, I have an MBA, I have a master's, how dare you ask me these questions? Then immediately it's a we, they situation. The, the rule is being open-minded. Uh, because of my background in market research, I have to say that I'm fairly neutral and open-minded when I discuss with uh, people, when I have a conversation, you know, and that goes with not reacting and things like that. So open-minded is, you know, one of the important elements of this open-mindedness is to be cognizant of who you're talking to. You have to be open-minded enough to talk to them in their language. For instance, I had to give presentations to IT people, operations people, more sales and marketing, and senior level people. So when I go to senior level people, I go right to the what's in it for you. You know, I don't go there, give them a whole lot, bunch of data and everything, go right in. So when I talk to sales and marketing, I'm not going to give them a bunch of data because they are going to all of them fall asleep. So there I give them ideas. And when I present to IT people, it's all about, you know, process and the operations people on logistics. If I, you know, I, I remember this director of communications who came in and did a fantastic presentation and the operations people who had a stony silence throughout. But in the end, when she came to the logistical, they all woke up. And they were all interacting with her. So, uh, you know, and then she was saying, you know, Mala, I think I should have first started with the logistics. Maybe they would have been awake for the rest of the. <laughs> so that, <laughs> you have to, when you present uh, options uh, in negotiation, I always tell people, look at who you are presenting to. Don't just go in and give some ideas. Yeah, that's hard to do, right? Because a lot of times when I'm presenting, I am presenting the what I would want to hear versus thinking what it where where is their listening? Exactly. Exactly. And 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 that I think is the critical. Like when I did market research, I would change gears 
based on who is in my audience. With operations people, I would not give a sales pitch because they would all say, oh, you're cutting into my bonus. You're creating all these things, you know, that's going to cost and management is going to cut my bonus. Mm. So I think it's very important to be very audience driven when you're presenting. And the best way to start is by asking a question. When you ask a few questions, then you'll know what type of audience you have. So then you uh, present. So when I go into any kind of lecture or anything like that, I start with a question. Then I know who I'm, who I'm talking to, what, what is their mindset. See, it's the mindset here that is very critical. And, and the same thing with, uh, you know, there's another category and it's in the book. It's about, you know, the, uh, the talkers, the planners, the movers and the shakers, these are different people and the doers. So these are four types of people in companies that I've seen. So when you, you know, it, uh, I remember one of the negotiation classes said, you have to talk to a decision maker. So how do you know they're a decision maker? You know, sometimes doers come in and say, okay, we'll go back and we'll get back to you. Then that's the worst. That's not negotiation then. You're just basically you know, laid out all your cards on the table, and then you're going to have a decision maker come in. So it's very important to know who you're dealing with. Is the doer or the planner, the talker, or the or the one, the mover shaker. So you need, in the mover shaker, you need the talker so that they'll bring the balance in the negotiation table. So that is, and then my final, final is don't mess with science. I remember, <laughs> I remember going to classes where they said, well, when the other person has presented something and they are stubborn and they're taking a stand, then be silent. And when you're silent, the other person is going to get nervous and they're going to kind of like give in. And silence is very powerful. So you don't want to use it that way if you want to maintain a long-term relationship. If you want to win, go to buy a car and the guy is talking left to right. You, if you're just silent the whole time. I tried this recently when I bought my, <laughs> my Toyota. I was so silent and that person just gave it. And I said, okay, it's okay. For a car, it doesn't matter. You know, I walk out and it's not like I, I need to have a continued, you know, long-term uh, friendship or anything. But you don't do that when you are right. in a, a client vendor relationship or within the company when you're trying to every day you're daily in, in corporate America, you're negotiating. So you don't want to do that to your, to your colleagues, your teammates, your people who are, uh, you know, reporting to you. Then, you know, if a person comes in and says, Mala, I want a salary increase and you're just quiet and looking at them. That's going to make them nervous and they'll walk out. <laughs> so I think silence is very powerful. Silence is to give the other person a chance to think. Because hmm. most of the time, the conflict is within yourself. The conflict is within yourself. And that gets expressed when you go to negotiation. And this is what I coach when I talk to people. Oh, that person is this way, and this, you know, we're always fighting with each other. 
he is mean and he doesn't respect women. This happened, you know, one woman was telling me. I said, the conflict is in your mind. You've got this big imagination that is built. You've built a really a nightmare in your mind that is constantly chattering. So when you face the other person, the first thing that comes out is something unpleasant. So it is very important to silence your mind. The best way to silence, of course, is meditation. A lot of people cannot. Other ways is to listen to soft music, listen to inspirational talks and everything so that you're kind of silencing your mind so that you quieten the chatter in your mind. You know, I, I did a major presentation and it was a very, very, very contentious uh, presentation. Everybody was. so. And then my client called and she said, Mala, we're going to introduce uh, another coach, executive coach into the group. And I was like really mad, you know, because I had just come out of a contentious presentation where everybody was challenging me. And I'm thinking, oh, there's another challenge. You know, I set up this executive coaching program. And I'm like the lead person and they're hiring somebody without talking. So my mind was chattering and that's what I blurted out. I said, nobody told me, you know, how could you do this to me? Right. That was it. And then, you know, I realized, and she said, Mala, I'm surprised that you're talking that way. You don't talk that way. And then I said, okay, I'm sorry. I was in a bad presentation. Can you give me some time? So I hung up had the time when I came back, it was a totally different approach. And they had that coach according to yeah. me. So it's it's that's when you use silence. It's The silence is not to output the other person. The silence is to silence your mind and remove all the thoughts and the imaginations and the gory details sitting in your mind so that when you talk to the other person, there is clarity. And when there is clarity, definitely the outcome is better so that basically is my lecture on the eight rules the eight rules the eight that's great no, thank that's, you that's great Ma. thank you for sharing hey it's no i need to jump in right here and in this episode but we're going to continue our conversation with mala in the next episode i'll see you over there thank you for listening to negotiate x radio helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.